Now, what's interesting in the Old Testament is that the Spirit of God prophesied in the Old Testament both regeneration, the Spirit dwelling in you, and the Spirit coming upon you, the baptism. Ezekiel, for example, Jeremiah does this too, but let's just look at Ezekiel 36, 27, uh, talking about regeneration. I will put my Spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. You will live in the land that I give you, that I gave to your forefathers, and you will be my people, and I will be your God. That's a very significant statement throughout the Old Testament. He told this to Abraham. He continued to reassert it. You will be my people, and I will be your God. That was the original situation in the garden. We were his people, and he was our God. Satan interposed himself so that God ceased to be our God. Satan became our God. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says, For the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving in order that they might not understand the glorious gospel. Yeah. But God in his redemption is bringing us back to being his people and he being our God. And that promise is constantly being reasserted throughout the Old Testament. And the way in which that happens is Ezekiel 36 says, he will cause his spirit to dwell within us. Jeremiah will say the same thing. Joel, however, which Peter is going to quote at Pentecost, Joel is dealing uh, with the Spirit coming upon you. And let's just look at Peter's sermon in Pentecost. Uh, verse 16, Peter is speaking under the power of the Holy Spirit. This, in other words, the Spirit has come upon them. Uh, verses uh, 1, 2, 3, and 4 of chapter 2 of Acts. 9 o'clock in the morning, uh, 50 days after Jesus has risen from the dead, bang, they are baptized in the Holy Spirit. We call it Pentecost. It was the birth of the church as we know it. Uh, and the intention of the Lord was that the Spirit dwell in us and upon us. That was always the plan. Peter, preaching at Pentecost, they've come out speaking in numerous tongues. And Peter says, but Peter, verse 14 Taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. See, quite literally saying, it can't be drunk, it's nine o'clock in the morning. That third hour is nine o'clock in the Jewish clock. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. In other words, he's saying, you're asking, what is this phenomena we're seeing and hearing? He's saying, this is that which was spoken in Joel. And then he quotes Joel. Now, Joel is one of the minor prophets of the Old Testament. Ezekiel and Jeremiah were two of the major prophets of the Old Testament. And it shall be, this is a direct quote from Joel. Uh, and it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will grant wonders in the sky above, and signs on the earth below, 
blood and fire and vapor of smoke and the sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come and it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Uh, have we seen the sun turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord? Uh-uh. It ain't happened yet, but it's about to. So that is the scope of the time frame of the prophecy of Joel from their point up to our point and beyond. Now, this is very significant because in the Old Testament, the, old, the Holy Spirit only came upon certain limited categories of people, kings, high priests, and prophets. But notice here the category uh, bridges gender gap, generation gap, and we're ultimately going to see racial and national gap. Uh, I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind, not just Jewish mankind, mankind, all mankind. Now that doesn't mean that everybody in the world is going to have the Holy Spirit poured out on them. What it means is that every representative from every nation will have. In other words, on the Jews, on the Gentiles. And when you look in Revelation, you will see that the people that are standing before the throne, singing his praises and declaring his glory are from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Don't care if you're black, don't care if you're white, don't care if you're yellow, don't care if you're red, don't care what color you are, don't care what nationality you are, don't care what your economic is, don't care if you're from South America, Africa, North America, Europe, everybody's going to get it. See? That's what this all mankind is saying. Now, it doesn't mean everybody in mankind, but it means every representative of mankind, regardless of your race, your color, your ethnic origin, your nationality, he's bringing everybody in, which makes sense. Mm -hmm. Because we are neither slave nor free. We are neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female in Christ. We are all the same. See? Yes. Because we're kind of, a new kingdom is coming. Those are old world distinctions. Right. You know, racial prejudice. That's old world distinction. That doesn't happen in the new kingdom. National prejudice, wars, that's, that's old world distinction. Uh, gender prejudice, that's old world. You know, in the new new kingdom, none of that exists. You know? So you might as well abandon it now. Yeah. Because we're part of the kingdom. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I have a I have a study that I teach in the federal building uh, on Tuesdays, and there was a time. Now it's a, it's somewhat smaller. I've taught this study for 35 years. There was a time when we had Africans, Asians, Hispanic, Anglo. Pentecostal, Catholic, Protestant, every kind of imagine, and they're all in Jesus. Yes. There aren't any distinctions. Yes. You know, you don't nice. notice color when you're in Christ right. among the brethren. That's right. That's right. You don't notice nationality. You know, you can watch the church in North Korea. Those guys are nuts over yeah. there. South Korea, you know. Uh -huh. From my perspective, you ever see a, a South Korean service praying? They're all praying all at once, out loud. You ever seen a, a, a prayer meeting or a thing in Uganda, for example? 
but they're all brothers yeah. and they're all sisters. Mm -hmm. the, North, the South Koreans are brothers and sisters. The Africans are brothers and sisters. In fact, the power of God right now is moving in Asia and Africa, not here. That's where, that's where the gospel is really moving. Uh, but we're all one, and that's what this is saying here. And the way that we are all one is the Spirit dwells in all of us, and the baptism of the Holy Spirit is poured out on all of us. Okay? Notice what he says, too. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy, not just the men, but the men and the women. Uh, your young men shall see visions. Yeah, that's good because those young people are full of power, full of, but they don't got the wisdom of the old men. And when you can keep us awake from having our dreams, you know, we can, but we're all filled with the Holy Spirit, aren't we? We're all baptized in the Holy Spirit. Men, women, Jew, Gentile, old guys, young guys, everybody. This is his plan. This is, otherwise redemption would be selective in that, in the wrong sense. Okay, and they will all prophesy. And then as this is going on, he is granting wonders everywhere. All right, look at Acts 4. Because this is the perspective that we need to have. Peter and John come back to the church and they say the Sanhedrin says they're going to persecute us and do some bad things to us if we don't stop preaching Jesus. And so here's what the church's response is. And when they heard this, they lifted their voice to God with one accord and said, O Lord, it is you who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and that all that is in them who by the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, Why did the Gentiles rage, and the peoples devise futile things? And the kings of the earth took their stand, and their rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. In the days that are coming, we must learn to have this perspective. We must understand the sovereignty and omnipotence of God. David, when he came to the armies of Saul and heard Goliath challenge them, Saul's attitude was, my goodness, he's too big to hit. And he, everybody saw them, he and he would say to the armies of Saul, and everybody looked at Saul. And since Saul was the tallest guy in the bunch, if he was afraid of him, they were afraid of him. Their perspective was limited to combat between human beings. David heard him and said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine to challenge the armies of the living God? That was his perspective. That's the church's perspective. We're not against the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin is against God. They've got a problem. <coughs> now see, here's what they say. For truly in the city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, Jew and Gentile, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your purpose destined to occur. Isn't that interesting? And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. You think the Holy Spirit is busy prompting this kind of prayer? Yeah. You know he is. Their perspective is a perspective that has been given to them by the Holy Spirit. Yes, yes ma'am. Oh, Acts 4, 27, 28, 29. This is a perspective that comes when the Holy Spirit. It's not us against the Sanhedrin. It's not us against the Romans. It's the Sanhedrin and the Romans against God. And we're his people.
and we know that he made heaven and earth. Therefore, extend your hand to give us boldness to preach the word and powers and strides and wonders. Mm -hmm. Now that's the perspective we have to have. And what happened? Verse 31, and when they had prayed, the place where they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak the word of God with boldness. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, Holy Spirit poured out again, second time. All right, Acts 8. Philip comes down, begins preaching to the Samaritans. God does great things through them. Samaritans are filled, uh, saved. The Holy Spirit comes in and regenerates them. Verse 14, now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John who came down to it and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit for they had not yet fallen upon any of them. Now they were saved. We know they were saved. It's already told us that. But the Spirit hadn't fallen on them. Peter and John prayed for them and the Holy Spirit came on them. See the difference? Now if you go over to Acts 10, Peter is speaking to the household of Cornelius. We won't read it. But as he was speaking to them, the Holy Spirit fell on them. And Peter says, can we deny them baptism, seeing that the Holy Spirit has already jumped ahead of us here? You know? Paul comes in Acts 19 to Ephesus and he comes to a group of 12 disciples. And Paul listens to them and he picks up that something's missing. And he says, did you receive the Holy Spirit? And they said, no, we haven't even heard there was a Holy Spirit. Oh, well, what baptism were you baptized into? Well, John the Baptist, of course. Well, John baptized for repentance, but let me tell you about Jesus. And when they hear, they are baptized into Jesus. The Spirit comes into them, they are regenerated. And, and coming out, Paul lays hands on them. All right, they're already saved, but there's only a few minutes here in between, and bang, the Holy Spirit comes on all 12. Yes. Two separate things, though. Ephesians 1.13. Paul says, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, You've also believed. They've received. They're regenerated. Having, after that, King James says, after you had believed. You were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the coming upon him. Notice, go back to Acts 4. If you didn't know your Bible before you came in here, you do now. When does the Holy Spirit baptism happen? Again and again and again. The Holy Spirit comes and dwells in you once, forever. But the baptism comes again and again and again. It's not a one-time thing. Acts 4. Verse 8. Peter and John standing before the Sanhedrin. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people. Now why did it say that? He was already filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Because this is a fresh endowment. This is a fresh outpouring. Peter is facing something he had never faced before. You want to get a picture of what he's facing. Uh, three months earlier in the courtyard of the high priest with Jesus under arrest, the high priest's servant girl says, you're one of them, aren't you? And he said, no, I'm not. Denies him three times. Now he's standing before the high priest himself and saying, you crucified the Lord of glory. The Holy Spirit has come upon him to enable him to do something he's not used to doing. Yes. 
Okay? Acts 7. Verse 54. Stephen has just finished preaching to the Sanhedrin. Now this is what I would call a failed sermon because after he finished they stoned him. Now when they heard this they were cut to the quick and they began gnashing their teeth at him. But being full of the Holy Spirit he gazed intently into the heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now if you go back to Acts 6, you'll see that Stephen is one of the first uh, deacons. One of the characteristics of the deacons was that they'd be full of the Holy Spirit. Okay, here it is again. It's now coming upon him, a fresh endowment, because he's facing something he hasn't had to face before. In this case, martyrdom. Okay, Acts 13. Um, let's see yeah verse 8 Paul has been um, witnessing to the proconsul of Cyprus and he's being withstood by a false magician named Eliamus verse 8 but Eliamus the magician for so his name is translated was opposing them seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith, but Saul, who was also known as Paul, now here's the phrase, filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? Well, he's already been filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a fresh empowerment. It's a fresh empowerment. Fixed his gaze on him and said, you are full of all deceit and fraud, and you son of the devil, you enemy of all wickedness, righteousness, Will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? Now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and not see the sun for a time. And Elimus began feeling his way along the wall. And when the proconsul saw that, he believed. Okay. So not only is it available to everybody, but it comes, it's, it comes more often. It's not just a one-time thing. It comes and it comes and it comes and it comes. Uh, and particularly when you're facing things you haven't had to face before, he comes to strengthen you and empower you. Uh, John says in John 1. Yes, ma'am. I was just asking, isn't it that some churches refer to as a, a, a fresh anointing? Yes. yes. Yes, that's a fair use of the term. A fresh anointing. An anointing of the Spirit. Uh, Lloyd-Jones said the old preachers, when they'd listen to a young preacher preach, they'd say, has he had his baptism with fire? Has the Holy Spirit come upon him? Has he been anointed to preach? That sort of thing. Uh, the anointing is always with us. Always has been with us. The baptism of the Holy Spirit has always been available. Uh, let's go through the Protestant Reformation. Let's go back. Uh, i got to move, move. But uh, let me just give you some examples. Um, if you study the lives of some of the great saints just from the Protestant Reformation forward. Uh, you will see examples of tremendous anointing and power of the Holy Spirit. The Covenanters in Scotland were tremendous prophets. prophets. They prophesied in the power of the Holy Spirit. They were in a tremendous persecution. But they, they were powerful in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That was in the 16th century. 
a fellow named Jonathan um, Livingston uh, was a guy who, and, and he preached at a church one time called the Kirk of Shots. Kirk meaning church in Scottish. Uh, Shots, you know, who knows what the Scots <laughs> mean. But he came, this is in 1630, and he came and the church asked him to give them a special um, message for communion the next Sunday. And he spent the entire night wrestling in prayer. And he got up and he went in before the church and as he began preaching, the Holy Spirit suddenly fell on all of them and 500 got saved just like that. Bang! See, that's what Acts 1 and 8 is telling you. If you go back to Peter's, and I left this out, but Peter's part of Peter's message at Pentecost was Jesus has been exalted to the right hand of God and the promise of the Father he has poured out upon us. That's once for all. The promise has been poured out. And then, then Peter says, and it's for you and all those both far and near and your children. Yeah. Now Peter didn't realize that meant Gentiles, but it did. He found out ten chapters later. He Gentiles. Now, um, the Great Awakening, um, Hal Harris in the um, 17th century was, uh, 18th century, was a uh, from Wales. Hal Harris got saved in March of 1735, three weeks later, sitting in May, I'm sorry, he got saved in April, in May of 1735, he was just reading the scripture, and the Holy Spirit came on. And God used him to lead large segments of Wales to Christ. Daniel Rowland was another one, Holy Spirit came upon him. What's interesting is the great leaders of the second great, the first great awakening in England and America were largely baptized in the Holy Spirit a few years before the awakening came. Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, Peter Tennant, Gilbert Tennant, Daniel Rowland, uh, Hal Harris in Wales, in Scotland, in England, in America, uh, all from the baptism of the Holy Spirit. David Brainerd, uh, Ministry to the Indians. You could tell David Brainerd died at the age of 29. He had tuberculosis. Uh, they said that you could tell how long he would go to the Indians, in, even in the dead of winter, and you could tell how long he'd been praying by the, uh, around the tree by the amount of blood on the snow because he was coughing up blood. But preaching to the Delawares, the Holy Spirit came down on them one time and flattened all of them. Just the power of the Holy Spirit just came on. Uh, the 19th century, same thing. Um, good example would be uh, Dwight L. Moody. Uh, Moody was baptized with the Holy Spirit on the uh, streets of New York and had to go upstairs to a friend's house across the way. <clears throat> the power of God and the love of God was flowing on him so hard he had to say, stay your hand or I'll explode. But Moody, who had been a strong preacher up until that time, one or two got saved under his preaching. Now scores, hundreds got saved when he preached. See, that's the difference. Um, who would be another one? Um, my, one of my favorites is David Morgan. <laughs> uh, in the, uh, nobody's ever heard of David Morgan. Uh, David Morgan was Welch's uh, minister. Uh, there was another Great Awakening in Wales. It actually started in America in 1857. Uh, the 
revival in America was so powerful on the East Coast that ships going into New York Harbor were like passing under a curtain, and whole crews of ship's crews would fall on their face and could repent and be saved by the time they docked. That got started from a prayer meeting in New York City in October 1857. Uh, a man from Wales came over uh, and wanted to see what was going on, and he got filled with the Spirit and went back to Wales in 1857, which was not an easy thing to do in those days. He was preaching, and a, young, and a man named David Morgan was in the congregation. Listen, David Morgan was a little pastor, not particularly not particularly good, kind of mediocre in his preaching, not particularly well known for having done anything. And Morgan himself says uh, he went to bed one night, the night he listened to this guy, I can't think of his first name, his last name was Jones, but he listened to him. And um, he said he got up the next morning, he said, I went to bed that night as David Morgan. I got up the next morning feeling like a lion. For two years, God used him to bring powerful revival in Wales. And some of the great uh, people of the uh, theologians, guys got saved, young men got saved, and became college presidents and great theologians and commentators in the whole nine yards. After two years, David Morgan said, <clears throat> I went to bed one night feeling like a lion. I woke up the next morning, I'd become David Morgan again. <laughs> he never saw it happen again for the next 15 years of his life. He died 15 years later. But the Holy Spirit comes, and sometimes it leaves. In Hal Harris's case, the Holy Spirit would come upon him. He would do powerful, mighty things, and the Holy Spirit would leave him. And then he would be on his face, crying out to God, begging for the Holy Spirit to come back. The Holy Spirit would come back on him. He'd do great and powerful things, and then leave him again. There is no formula by which you can say, you do this, this, and this, and God will do this, this, and this. It just doesn't work. He does what he does according to his will and his purposes. David Morgan. Jonathan uh, Swift, uh, Jonathan Livingston at Kirk of Shots, that was the only time it happened. He lived the rest of his life thinking back to that night, that day. You just can't say how, when, where. It's the Holy Spirit does this. You with me? All right. Let me give you... Uh, I, I would commend you reading a book. You'll probably have to get it from Amazon.com. It's called They Found the Secret. It's by Raymond Edmond. He, uh, when he, he was the president of Wheaton from 1940. He died in 1967, but he has one. Ch each chapter is about a different saint who walked in the power of the Holy Spirit and how it happened. Let me just read a couple of them to you. Huh? David uh, Raymond Edmund. Is it Edmund or Erdman? Edmund. Here's D.L. Moody. Here's what he said. This is his words. And I began to cry as never before. The hunger for this increased, and his realization that he needed the Holy Spirit. Because he was preaching in Chicago, he was popular in Chicago. One Sunday after he finished preaching, he came into his study and there were two little ladies, elderly ladies, waiting for him. And they said, Pastor Moody, we've been praying that you have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Well, that didn't sit well with him. But they asked to pray for him and he agreed. And he got down on his knees and nothing happened. But when he got up from his knees, he had this terrible thirst for God. <clears throat> so this is what Moody says. 
I began to cry as never before. The hunger for this increased. I really felt that I did not want to live any longer if I could not have the power for service. I kept on crying all the time that God would fill me with the Spirit. Well, one day in the city of New York, oh, what a day, I cannot describe it. I seldom refer to it. It is almost too sacred an experience to name. I can only say that God revealed himself to me and I had such an experience of his love that I had to ask him to stay his hand. <clears throat> Another saint, uh, Welsh Baptist preacher, Christmas Evans. Having begun in the name of Jesus, I felt as if it were my shackles loosening and old hardness softening. And as I thought the mountains of frost and snow dissolving and melting within me, this engendered confidence in my soul and the promise of the Holy Ghost. I felt my whole mind relieved from some great bondage. Tears flowed copiously down my cheeks and I was constrained to cry out aloud for the gracious visits of God by restoring to my soul the joy of his salvation that he would visit the churches in Anglesey that again were under my care. Mm -hmm. Baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Pascal, great French uh, mathematician and philosopher, uh, they found uh, a little, after his death, they found written uh, in the, uh, sewn into one of the sleeves of his coats, uh, the words uh, December, what was it, uh, uh, 12 o'clock midnight, December 14, 1653, to 6 a.m. in the morning, December 15, 1653, fire the Holy Spirit. <laughs> now, Pascal is well known as a scientist. I mean, he's the father of computers. Uh, George Whitfield. Soon after this, I found and felt myself that I was delivered from the burden that had so heavily oppressed me. The spirit of mourning was taken from me. I knew what it was truly to rejoice in God my Savior, and for some time could not avoid singing psalms wherever I was. But my joy gradually became more settled, and blessed be God has abode and increased in my soul, saving a few casual intermissions ever since. Thus were the days of my mourning ended, after a night of desertion and temptation, the star which I had seen at a distance began to appear again, and the day star rose in my heart. Jonathan Edwards, once as I rode out into the woods on my, for my health in 1737, having alighted from my horse in a retired place, as my manner commonly had been to walk for divine contemplation and prayer, <clears throat> I had a view that for me was extraordinary of the glory of the Son of God as mediator between God and man and this wonderful, great, full, pure, and sweet grace and love and meek and gentle condescension. Now, this guy's a Christian and well-known at this time, incidentally. Uh, the, this grace that appeared so calm and sweet appeared also great above the heavens. The person of Christ appeared ineffably excellent with an excellency great enough to swallow up all thought and, concept, and conception which continued as near as I can judge about an hour, which kept me the greater part of the time in a flood of tears and weeping aloud. He's considered one of the greatest intellectuals that America has ever produced. Um, he says, I felt an ardency of soul to be what I know, not otherwise how to express, emptied and annihilated, to lie in the dust, to be full of Christ alone, to love him, with a holy and pure love. Remember Romans 5, 5, and hope does not disappoint, but the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit given to us. And Peter says, speaking to the entire area in, of five provinces, 
referring to all of them. He says, for you do not see him now, but you love him. And though you do not see him, you believe in him. And you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. See, uh, what, is, what is the desire? Where is the secret for it? John 7. Now, verse 37. Now on the last, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Are you thirsty? Yes. That's the criteria. Right. It's not a matter of righteousness. You're already righteous. Amen. It's not a matter of worthiness. You're already worthy. The issue is, are you thirsty? Yes. Look at Isaiah 41. Verse 17. The afflicted and needy are seeking water, but there is none. And their tongue is parched with thirst. I, the Lord, will answer them myself. As the God of Israel, I will not forsake them. I will open rivers on the bare heights and springs in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land fountains of water. Whenever you see running water in the Old Testament, often it's referring to the Holy Spirit symbolically. Uh, are you thirsty? Are you afflicted and needing? If you think you're not, you got a problem because you are. David in 80, Psalm 86 one said, Have mercy on me, who, O God, who is afflicted and needy. That's the king of Israel. But he understands he's afflicted and needy. Every one of us are outside of him. <clears throat> he says, I will put the cedar in the wilderness and the acacia and the myrtle and the olive tree. I will place the juniper in the desert together with the box tree and the cypress that they may see and recognize and consider and gain insight as well that the hand of the Lord has done this. And the Holy One of Israel has created it. Psalm uh, Isaiah 42, uh, I'm sorry, 43, uh, verse 18. Do not call to mind the former things or ponder things of the past. Behold, I will do something new. Now it will spring forth. Will you not be aware of it? I even will make the roadway in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. Uh, the beasts of the field will glorify me, the jackals and the ostriches, because I have given waters in the wilderness. Are we in the wilderness? Yeah. You know we're in the wilderness. Yeah. So we need those waters to yeah. be brought forth, you know, yeah. those living waters that, that yeah. flow out from the innermost being. Uh, he said, and rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people, the people who I am formed for myself will declare my praise. That's you. Yeah. You're his chosen people. Amen. You're the ones that he has formed for himself to declare his praise. Yes. You know, and it's the baptism coming down on them that enables them to do that. Okay, I'm actually finished oily. Let's pray. Why don't we pray? Yes. <laughs> Tell me, where are you? What do, what do you want? Yeah. Oh, I didn't read John Wesley. I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt that I did trust Christ alone for salvation and an assurance was given to me that he had taken away my sins, even mine. See, Edwards was a Calvinist, reformed. Wesley was an Arminian. Totally different uh, theological differences. 
baptized and the Holy Spirit, both of them. Didn't matter. Uh, God raised them both above their theological basis. Uh, Tremendously impact. Well, let's ask God. Now, I can't control people getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. Uh, if he wants to do that right now, I'm for it. If he doesn't, uh, then he knows his timing. But why don't we ask? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for wonderful grace that you chose before the foundation of the world everybody in this room. And you intended that the promise of the Father be made available to each one. Lord, I pray for each of us that you would remove anything in our hearts that stands in the way of you having your full way with us. Lord, if we've walked in condemnation, uh, I ask you to deliver us from that. I ask you to enable us to understand that we are righteous in the beloved and that we are worthy. If there are any here who are caught in consistent sin, I ask you to set them free of that. Grant them a heart of true repentance uh, that they may be fully set free. And Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be poured forth upon us. And we ask that even now, if it is pleasing to you to do so, that you would pour forth your Holy Spirit upon us in power, uh, according to your promise. And Lord, we claim your promise because you gave it. And we ask, Father, that you would fill us with boldness, that the love of Christ would be shed abroad in our hearts, that we would walk in joy inexpressible, uh, rejoicing in, in the knowledge of your presence. And we ask this in Jesus' holy name. Let me pray one more thing. Let me pray once more. Father, we ask for revival. We acknowledge that there is no hope for us apart from your empowerment. And Lord, we ask you to start with us in this room, start with this church, but we ask that your Holy Spirit would cause such a fire to arise that it will spread to every church in Arlington, every church in Tarrant County, every church in Texas, every church in the United States, that you would surround the world in a Holy Ghost fire that brings millions into the kingdom. And we ask that you would cause us to have a terrific thirst uh, to constantly seek your face and cry out to you for that. And we ask it right now in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. And I would ask you to continue pressing God for the baptism of the Holy Spirit upon you individually, but also upon the whole church. Uh, if you've got the baptism, good. Just ask 
for an outpouring of greater power. If you've never had it, and let me tell you this, if you wonder if you've ever had it, you haven't. Because if you have it, you know it. And everybody around you knows it too. So if you've never had that, and you're thirsty for that, and hopefully after today, if you haven't been thirsty, you are now. Uh, and if you thirst for that, then you need to press in. Uh, and as Isaiah 62, 7 says, give him no rest uh, until he does it. Yes, ma'am. <clears throat> Can we pray that, um, that, that the Lord will hand select whoever he desires to be in all these political offices, everyone that's uh, at every level up to the president, for such a time as this and have mercy on this nation, not because we deserve it, because he is a sovereign. Well, plus I would pray for all the current leaders exactly. that God would open hearts and minds. Yes. Uh, because that's... See, well, yes. see, the problem is is that Christ, the church is not understanding that they have authority in Christ to be able to change history. Yes. But we waste our time. Thank you. Thank we, don't, we don't do it. It's, it's worthless to spend your time criticizing President Obama. You should be praying for President Obama. I know. Yeah, but a lot of people don't. Speak mm -hmm. up, you know. We should be praying for President Bush when he was in office, yes. President Obama, yes. whoever the next president is, because spiritual forces are involved there, and we have the we're the people that have authority over spiritual forces. Uh, we can go into the the king's office and he'll come get around from the desk and sit down and spend time with us. So we should. So let's. I'll pray for that right now. Father, we acknowledge that you are the one that raises up leaders and you take down others. But you do what you have sovereignly determined you're going to do. And we ask that you have mercy on us. And we ask and we acknowledge that we are full of sin as a nation, that we have turned our backs on you, that we have spit in your face, uh, that we hate the cross, we hate uh, the gospel. Uh, we acknowledge that we as your people, though we are not like that, we have been apathetic, we've been ambivalent, we've been more interested in our own comfort, in our own prosperity. And Lord, I ask that you bring us a people, both Christian and non-Christian, uh, into repentance. That we would not, that they would repent of their sin and that we would repent of our laziness yes. and our unwillingness to be your instruments. Uh, Lord, have mercy on us, and we ask for more than mercy. We ask for grace because we don't deserve mercy. And Lord, we ask that you would raise up godly leaders, men and women, on the national level, on the uh, state level, on the city level, Lord, for the leaders we have now, we ask that you would influence their hearts, mm -hmm. that you would open their eyes, you would open their hearts, that they may understand that they bear a terrible responsibility as leaders before you. Mm -hmm. And Lord, we ask you to use our leaders uh, to be people who will follow you and who will give us, uh, who, will, who will prosper uh, the gospel and who will prosper the knowledge of you. We want to see you glorified in this nation.
We want to see a nation where repentance goes from the White House down to the smallest level, not just of government, but all of us, that we would all repent uh, like Nineveh repented, Lord, and that we may be a people who will declare the goodness of God and the glory of Jesus. Yeah. And Father, we ask uh, that you would really have mercy on us. And we ask not for our glory, but for yours. Yes. And we also ask uh, that in doing this, you would restore the integrity of the church. Uh, and Lord, we do ask again that millions would come to know you. We ask that those who sit in deep darkness would see a great light and that that light would be from the church, Lord, a church that is rejuvenated, a church that has repented, a church that the Holy Spirit has come down on in great power and caused us to see your holiness and to understand our own sin, that we might be flat on our faces repenting before you in order that you may cleanse us and then use us to be your instruments to share the gospel with great boldness and in loving kindness and full of joy. May the unbeliever no longer laugh at us as hypocrites but may the, and no longer bring reproach upon your name. But may the unbeliever look and say, what is it you've got? I need it. I've got to have it. Lord, we know that unless you move, it can't happen because we ourselves lack the power. That's always been the case, and we acknowledge it now. We are utterly, totally dependent upon you. And Lord, have mercy on us and have mercy on the elections that are coming. Have mercy on a people who need to know you and who are in desperate condition. And Lord, the world is in a desperate condition. Let us be your light to that world. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.